it's got to look like a 1.3 or 1.4 million dollar home so we we did spend a lot of time and money on the front and really making that look amazing are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey Welcome back to today's episode. I'm Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is Carlin Ikret, who is a realtor, flipper, and a real estate investor. And we talk about completing high-end flips, how to acquire them, how to plan the renovations, what renovations to do, and everything that we need to know about flipping in expensive areas. Carlin is a realtor and also an investor, and she really focuses on Burlington, Oakville, Hamilton. And we, we talk a lot about the expensive markets and how you can still make money in them. You just have to be strategically, you know, think strategically different than a, a regular area because those markets probably will not cash flow, if anything. So definitely there's different strategies for those high-end markets. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you haven't left a rating or review yet, please do so. That is awesome. Then that way more people can find the podcast. I would really appreciate it. And otherwise, let's bring in Carlin. Carlin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Sarah? Good. I'm excited to have you on. Now, for those that may not have met you or heard of you before, 30,000 foot view of what it is that you do, if you don't mind sharing with us. Um, so I'm a real estate agent. I work for Keller Williams. I work primarily Burlington, Oakville, Hamilton. Um, I've been doing it now for six years and I absolutely love it. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, the best job that I could ever ask for. So yeah, that's it pretty much. Very cool. So I wanted to bring you on specifically because you're focusing on the luxury markets or the higher end markets, right? So a lot of the time we have guests on that are investors that are looking at doing the Burr strategy or something in terms of, you know, renovating and renting it out. But I wanted to specifically bring you on to talk about other opportunities, right? And, and that would be looking at uh, higher end homes and potentially flipping those, those higher end homes and some of the differences that, that come with that versus the typical Burr strategy that a lot of people hear me speak of. And, and you have a lot of experience working with that. And uh, you're in Oakville, you're in Burlington. I mean, these are, are markets that are likely over a million dollars. Um, what are some of the things that you can share with us when it comes to if somebody wanted to buy uh, an Oakville house or a Burlington house and make profit off of that? What would be a good strategy? Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, I think looking at the birth strategy versus a straight flip of a higher end home, there's a lot of things to consider that are definitely different in terms of, so just to kind of start at the beginning, I mean, I think you need to be really aware of the areas that you're choosing and what's going on in those areas, because first of all, to get a higher end home or what could be a higher end home, um, it's, it's difficult in such a competitive market to keep your price in a range that's going to end up turning you a profit. So you got to look really closely at the areas. Personally, if you're going to do a higher end flip, I prefer an area that's still a little bit older, but is starting to turn over. So that way it's kind of that sweet spot where you're still going to be, uh, you're still going to, you know, appeal to a large base of 
buyers, potential buyers, while still maintaining, you know, a reasonable price for you to turn to get a return on on your investment. Um, typically, when I have clients who are looking for homes like that, it's a lot of feet on the ground. You're going out. You're you're you know you're driving. You're walking through the neighborhoods, trying to figure out. You know you look at a nice street, okay, where's the worst house on the street? You know, you're kind of, you're looking for the shittiest house on the street a lot of times. Um, so, you know, door knocking them, leaving letters to them, trying to see if they'll sell because ideally you want to get something like that off market because as you know, the market's insane. And even when you're looking at a property that needs a full gut job in Burlington or Oakville, if you're in a high demand area, which most areas are in, in those two cities, you, it's going to be competitive. So I think, you know, having an agent who can, you know, try to make that connection for you sort of try to drum up something off market is most ideal because you know you, you don't want to end up overpaying and being competition so i would start there uh, know your neighborhood know what kind of buyer that that attracts you know is it uh, you know is it a married professional with no kids is it a family of four with two kids who is it where are they working what do they do for a living all of that. And that's going to become your basis for the rest of the flip and the decisions you make going forward with it. It sounds like planning ahead of time and figuring out the exit and, and who's going to purchase that on exit is really important. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've obviously talked about door knocking and, and looking for pocket listings or off market opportunities. I mean, I, I think the market is just insane at some point it's, it's going to, you know, even out maybe a little bit more, but you know, if, if you're living in an area where it is expensive, you know, potentially Vancouver or, you know, another area, just like, like Oakville and Burlington, I mean, these properties, just to get an idea, like what, what is the price range of something that needs work? And then what is the price range of something? And I know it varies, um, yeah. that you could expect when you, uh, when you sell it. Uh, it, it I mean, it is going to vary greatly on the area. I mean, even if you're looking at Oakville versus Burlington, Oakville typically is going to be a higher price point. But again, with the higher end flip, it, it's higher risk, higher reward. So you kind of got to gauge, you know, where do you want to end up ultimately? If we're talking about the final selling price, I think ideally, um, you know, and again, this depends on who, who you're looking for, you know, are you marketing to somebody who wants a fully custom home that's 1.7 million or um, you know a family with a bit more of a reasonable price point my preference would be to try to target you know a, a, um, a, a couple that has two children would be the best and try to keep the price somewhere between 1.3 1.4 where it's still sort of manageable um, on on you know if that's your end game to end up around 1.3 1.4 purchase price I mean, and again, it depends on the area and the finishes because, and I'll talk about that a little later, but the finishes are really going to come into play on this. Um, but you, I don't know where you'd end up. It, it really does vary on the area. I mean, you'd want to make at least a couple of, of hundred grand on, on something like that when we're talking about these numbers. So, I mean, yeah, it, it really does vary on, on the location and the area and how in demand it is. And you want to, you kind of want to find that balance between it being an in demand area, but it's almost like the whole world hasn't discovered that yet. And, you know, it's still affordable enough that you can turn a, a good profit off of it. 
And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. So you're, you're mentioning, you know, the areas before they, they really skyrocket. So as you're saying this, I mean, I, I live in Oakville, but I'm thinking you've got, you know, like Southeast Oakville that's already, you know, developed and you've got the, the two story mansions essentially going for anywhere between two to five mil plus potentially. Right. And then you've got uh, West, you know, Southwest Oakville, and then you've got pockets. Can you, can you just like maybe share some of the things to look for? Like if there is, I mean, obviously you know, asking a real estate agent that that is well-versed in that area is important. But, you know, is there some things that like as people are driving through these types of neighborhoods that they should um, look for, for, you know, a signal that that could be that next up and coming opportunity area? Um, I think you want to look for, you know, any signs of, of the area turning over. And I, when I say re or turning over, I'm not talking about those big because that's obviously not what you're wanting to do in this scenario. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that is what you want to do. I guess for me, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about, you know, a, a standard flip. Um, it, it's, you want to look for 
um, an area where there's still some homes that need some updating that look like they have been, you know, ignored for a while that are sort of among some other really beautiful homes that have turned over. Uh, the one that I did with Rob, actually, we did that in Bronte. I really like Bronte um, and that West area there. It's uh, It's got a lot of that. And with the particular house that we did, it was the worst house on the street, on a street that had already turned over. So it was really ideal for them. The other thing that made it ideal for them is they had purchased it a few years prior at a really good price. Like I think they paid five fifty for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so that positioned them really well. Obviously that's not going to be the case, you know, if you're trying to buy in this market, but that positioned them really, really well. And we ended up sending, selling for 1.175. Um, and, and it was a back split. It was, you know, it was like 1700 square feet. It wasn't huge. And, uh, and we did really well on it. So yeah, I would, I would look for areas where, it's starting to turn over where there's some new development, um, but not the crazy McMansions, unless you wanted to go that route. Although I wouldn't suggest that you, you know, buy something, tear it down and build a giant mansion because, you know, if, if you're living in Oakville or you want to live in Oakville, somebody's going to do that for themselves. I think keep it more reasonable in that 1.3, 1.4 range, or even a little less if we were talking about the flip that Rob and I did at 1.175. Um, however, that being said, if we were to sell that house today, it probably would go 1.3. So 1.3, 1.4 is sort of that nice area where it's still affordable for people. They can get a really nice turnkey property and you're kind of appealing to that wider base versus going higher than that up into the 1.6 plus um, where it's, it may not be as attainable for people. You have a smaller pool of, uh, of buyers after a certain price limit, right? So it is important to understand what that looks like. And it sounds for your areas anyways, that 1.3, 1.4 mark makes sense. And just going back, so Rob uh, is also my contractor that I've worked with uh, recently as well in a, in a Burlington property from White Elm, Rob and Joel from White Elm. Um, and so they brought you in fairly early. So maybe just talk to us about, you know, if you've got... Uh, an opportunity to bring in a team early. Uh, in this case, they brought you in early so that you could help them with the finishes and, and figuring out, you know, the, the end user market. But walk us through how that all came about and then what kind of input you had in it. Uh, so I got referred to, this was my first time meeting Rob, actually. And uh, since then, you know, we've become um, partners and we, you know, we refer each other business and he's become my own contractor. Um, he's great. But this was my first meeting of Rob. So he came in as a referral to me. Um, and then the, the other property. So it was Rob and, and another owner that were in on Joel. it. Yep. Uh, so when they called me and asked me to come and check out the house, they let me know what they wanted to do. They wanted to flip it. They asked me to come in and kind of give them an idea of its current value as, as it was and the potential value and kind of how they would go about getting there. So when I came in, um, the house was pretty much, it was demoed, um, you know, down to the studs on the walls. It was, it was, you know, I walked in and I'm thinking, how am I going to possibly value this? There's, you know, it, it's down to the studs. Um, but we did and we we talked about it and they let me know, you know, what they were thinking. I let them know what I was thinking in terms of, you know, at that point we weren't really talking about finishes, but more just layout and, 
you know, what do we update? What do we leave? What's important? What are people in this market looking for? Um, so we started out there. I let them know where I thought it could sell at and it's ultimately where we did sell. Um, so yeah, they brought me in right when it was down to the studs and, and we went from there. I was, um, very involved in the pro in the project, which I really liked because, you know, they were, they were counting on me and I knew eventually I was going to be selling it. So, you know, I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted it to, to go well for them and I wanted them to make some money. So it was, uh, it was a really fun process. It went on for... I think the flip took around four or five months total. Um, I would stop in, you know, check in on the project. And then as we got closer to the end, you know, it came down to picking finishes. And again, knowing what people in that market are looking for is critical. And as well, and this is a huge part of doing a higher end flip, you need to be really aware of your finishes and how the market is going to perceive them. Because when you're talking about, you know, the burst strategy and you want to rent it out, finishes are not as important. You can get away with cutting some corners with saving some money, right? Um, when it comes to the higher end and you're into that price point, the buyers expect a certain level of finishes and quality. And we really couldn't skimp um, too much on that. And I think even near the end, we were coming near the end of the flip. The house was completed. So it was a, a back split and it had um, two, you know, two basements. So it had the first level and then you go down and there was a, kind of that bottom level. And I think we're about a month away from listing. And I realized that we hadn't finished that first level. It was unfinished. So we were about a month away from listing and I realized a buyer is going to expect that this area is finished and it's going to increase the value and it's going to ultimately get us that interest that we want. It's worth it to do the basement. So we looked at that. We looked at the finances of that, how much it would cost to, and you know, we didn't do anything fancy down there. We did the hardwood flooring like we had on the main floor and just cleaned it up, finished it up nice. So somebody could use it as, you know, an office, a playroom. They could even do a bedroom if they wanted um, so doing that and, and realizing that at that point was, was crucial, I think. Um, and there was a lot of that through the process, you know, where we're trying to decide between A and B and almost always in that situation with the higher end flip, you kind of got to go with what's going to look better, what's going to show better and what's ultimately going to give potential buyers the feeling that, it's quality that they're getting what they're paying for and uh, you know, not getting any, any kind of flack about it being a flip or, you know, you don't want it to have that flip look, if that makes sense. Um, you know, you go into some and you see the Costco flooring and, and you know, the Costco lighting and that's all fine for certain types for this type. It, it, we couldn't cut corners like that. It had to really be, you know, all those little details like the waterfall Island, we needed to do that. You know, it had to be quartz. It had to be hardwood. It had, you know, all of those types of things, even down to the, uh, the hardware on the doors, you know, we needed nice hardware on the doors, all of that stuff. So that really, really comes into play because you want a really quality product at the end and you want, you know, you want the buyers to feel like the value is there, especially in those higher price points. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 
And uh, just to go back, there is such a difference, and you mentioned it, between renovating to refinance and rent out and renovating to sell and make the, the best profit that you possibly can. You mentioned quartz, you mentioned hardwood flooring. You know, can you maybe just list just some of the items that, and it could be this one or it could just be any other higher end homes that are almost expected now from end user buyers that are going to be buying those, you know, one to $2 million properties. Like what are some must haves in their buying criteria? I think must haves in terms of that is, you know, the, like I mentioned, obviously hardwood flooring, quartz or granite for your countertops, undermount sink, non Ikea cabinets, um, you know, and that doesn't mean they need to be custom built. You can still, you know, you can still get a decent deal on that, but uh, they can't be Ikea. Uh, light fixtures, you know, you need to go to a nice lighting store, have them picked out. And actually at that point when we were doing lighting and stuff like that, that's when I brought in my stager to have her input on the design aspect um, because ultimately we wanted what was going to be put in there for staging to tie in with all of the finishes that we've chose. Um, I think having that, that first level, at least of the basement finished was, uh, was crucial to that price point. They also had, um, the front of the house. I mean, your curb appeal, obviously super important. You can't skimp on that. It's got to look, it's got to look like a 1.3 or $1.4 million home. Um, so we, we did spend a lot of time and money on the front and really making that look amazing. Um, I mean, I think, I think it just comes down to, to every finish, you know, it, it can't just stay away from Ikea, stay away from Costco, like all of that stuff. You kind of got to forget about that. But I mean, it's little details too, like in the flip that we did, every closet was, you know, had custom shelving in it. Um, it's, it's little details like that, you know, five inch trim, um, everything from faucets to light fixtures. It, it all has to look, it has to look the part. It can't look like, you know, you got it on special from wherever. Um, and, and again, that's fine with the burr and that's fine when you're renting it out and you want to do that in those situations almost because you want to save some money and you want to, you know, and, and it, you can, and, uh, but that's, what's so different about, about this process. But I think buyers do demand certain things like that. You know, it's, it's got to look, it's got to look like a quality job and it can't have that typical flip look. It's sort of got to have some detail and some thought put into it and, and some unique touches too, right? Like, um, for example, in the laundry room, it was, there was a main floor laundry, um, and it just looked boring. And so we did a beautiful mud room. We did a live edge wood uh, bench in the mud room. Little details like that, I think, go a long way in those types of flips. So that it also doesn't look cookie cutter. It doesn't look standard. It, it, it has some depth. And I think that was really important as well. And I mean, having someone like Rob to source those kind of materials and those kind of finishes is, is crucial because you know you don't want to be paying a fortune for those things but it's, it's got to look like you did and now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors i want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode i wanted to introduce you to rob and joel 
from White's Elm Design Build. And Robin Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the rhino part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget, which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whitealmdesignbuild.com. That is whitealmdesignbuild.com. Or you can send them an email, joel, J-O-E-L, at white elmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. Good luck on your next projects. Now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And those little, and, and, you know, when you said you don't want it to look cookie cutter, I mean, that's exactly the, the difference between the burr that we do with the flips and, and, or versus the flips, right? I mean, the burr, exactly. It is, it is that, that Ikea kitchen. It is those, Home Depot lights or, or whatnot. And it's usually just for simplicity, the same thing over and over and over and over because, yeah. you know, it, it's probably the, the most efficient on, on price and it works for the maximum ARV. So it's a, it's a whole different project. Now you're mentioning, you know, hardwood floors are, are bamboo floors just as, you know, exciting for these buyers or is it really just the hardwood floors? Uh, I don't know that bamboo would be as exciting. I think buyers still prefer in that price range still go for the hardwood. I mean, hardwood's a classic. You could also go, you know, engineered. And actually, it's kind of funny because we're talking about this, um, but I think this is sort of the important thing to note. We, the flooring that we ended up putting in Yale, uh, sorry, Yale was the street that, that we did the flip on. So the flooring we ended up putting in there was from Costco. Um, and I know I just finished saying not to do that. However, I think it's important to note that you need to know where those concessions can be made. You need to be able to look at, at the finish or look at the product and, and make a determination on that. Like, is this going to work? Is this going, is somebody going to look at this and know that it's from Costco or is it going to feel like it's from Costco? Um, so, you know, you, you kind of have, you have to sort of 
know enough to be able to make those determinations and know where you can get away with that and where you can't. Mm -hmm. and it, it did work. It worked really well for us. It was a beautiful product and it looked amazing, but yeah, I think it's just ultimately knowing your market. And two, it, if you're looking at an area and you're wondering about that, you know, what does a buyer demand? Book some showings and go, go to some homes that are for sale in that area and see what they're offering and see how they compare. And right. that'll give you a really good idea. That's a really good tip. Yeah. Go out there and then just see what, what they have and just make yours a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and truthfully in the market that we're in, I mean, it's insane. And especially when you have a turnkey product, um, something else too, to note that I was just thinking about and something that we did at Yale was, you know, we updated the HVAC, the roof was done. We did take care of those bigger ticket items, which again is not something that you would mm -hmm. necessarily be concerned about on a rental strategy. Um, but for us, we, we needed it to be that turnkey product. There was nothing to do at that house for 20 years. Um, and, and that made it very, very marketable as well. And also gives people the impression that no corner was cut, no stone was unturned. I mean, down to, it had a pool. We replaced the pool liner, which aesthetically had to be done. It really updated it and elevated it. Um, but even the pool equipment, we replaced all of the pool equipment. We put it in a nice shed, cleaned it up really nice. There was a ton of landscaping that went on. Um, and ultimately, those are the types of things that, that make it stand and flip. So, Awesome. What are, you, what are your thoughts about the, all the IT connectedness, smart homes, uh, just having everything you know, digital and, and available for that? Like, are people looking for, for having those smart type of homes or some more you know, efficient type of homes? Um, I honestly, I, I haven't seen a lot of that in terms of demand. I haven't noticed a ton of demand for that. I feel like something like that is, is more like a personal preference. Um, almost like a pool used to be. And when I say a pool used to be, it's because since COVID pools are like your golden ticket. If, if I have a listing coming up and it has a pool, like that house is selling for over asking for sure. Um, but back in the days when, you know, a pool was 50-50. I feel like something like that is, is sort of 50-50. However, with that said, for example, when we were choosing appliances for the home, we chose a smart fridge. Um, so you can, you can program, you know, your grocery list, you can order food, you can see what's in the fridge, it will give you recipes. Um, so little details like that, I think did go a long way. But in terms of, you know, video doorbells, um, smart home technology, lighting, and all of that. I think that's really just a personal choice. I don't know that I would include that um, in something like that. I don't think it would be an expectation. I think it would be a nice bonus if it had it, but I don't think it would be an expectation to have something like that. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Now, obviously you sell a lot of homes and you, and you help buyers buy a, a lot of homes. You know, what are some of the, the things that's going to be important? If, if they just want to go and live somewhere, you know, maybe one day, you know, one day sell it in five years from now, like what are some of the things that right now you're suggesting that they, they consider before they, they buy that next forever home or for the next five year home? So you mean if they're buying... 
if they're just buying for themselves, like just, you know, as, a, as some, let's just say somebody wants to, to move and they want to buy a house in, you know, one of those higher, more expensive markets, are there things that they should be aware of? Because obviously it's, it's a different thing versus being an investor, but like, for example, is if they want to make sure that even though it's not their investment property, that they're still buying a good property? Like, are there some big ticket items to, to look for? Are there some locations that you want to ensure that you avoid, for example, or, or things like that, that you can share? Um, I think for Burlington and Oakville, in terms of location, you're fairly safe. Um, there is some areas that appreciate faster than others. However, I mean, even looking at the current market in areas like the orchard where I live and work and farm, um, it's crazy here right now. It's, you know, truthfully buying in this market, I don't want to say that you're going to be overpaying, but it's almost like you're buying at the height of the market, right? So I do make sure that clients understand that as well. I mean, of course, you're going to have your appreciation, but it's kind of like, you know, back in 2017, when things went crazy and people were going, I mean, it's very similar to right now where people are paying over asking, you know, multiple offers, you're having to go in firm on the purchase. Um, it, it's, it's really difficult for a lot of buyers and, and it's very competitive. So I think, you know, it's, it's a little harder, but I try to prepare people for that. You know, we are buying at the height of the market. So your appreciation might be a little bit slower depending on the area. There are some areas in Burlington, like I would say Brant Hills, mountainside area that are a little bit older, even Hedden Forest, where the value is still there. You're still getting into a great area, but the prices haven't quite skyrocketed like they have in other areas like, you know, the Orchard, Alton, um, some of those newer areas that are a little bit more in demand. So, um, I mean, I was just showing a home this morning in Brant Hills and the clients were asking me, you know, what do you think about the area and the appreciation? And again, it's, it's a bit of an older area you know, you are going to have to do some updating on the home, but you're getting a larger property, you know, you're still in a great area and the pricing hasn't gone completely crazy yet. So an area like that, I think would be one to watch Brand Hills, uh, Mountainside, Haddon Forest, where there's still opportunity to get in and kind of put in the sweat equity yourself and be able to be in a better situation financially. I would say that generally speaking, a completely turnkey home in those more desirable areas is going to leave you not appreciating nearly as much, of course, as it would be to buy something in a bit of an older area that's still relatively affordable and to put your sweat equity in yourself and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent agree. What about, you know, like nanny suites or, you know, a secondary unit in the basement to help with mortgages? Like, is there a demand from the end user buyer potentially wanting to buy a house and, you know, they can't fully afford the mortgage. So they're looking for, for something with that opportunity. Is that something that you're seeing more of, or is that not, uh, not a thing in your markets right now? Not a thing in my market. No, I do have a couple of clients who would prefer to have an in-law suite for their for a family member. But I think generally speaking in the price points that we're looking at at Burlington Oakville, people don't need the second suite. And I actually just had this conversation with a client that I mentioned earlier that I'm working with now, who's mid in the middle of her high end flip. And I just got brought in and she's sort of in a bit of a mess trying to help her sort it through it. And I think we're going to be okay. But 
she has a property that's duplex potential and asked me, this is in Mississauga, and asked me, you know, what is the demand for a legalized basement unit so that somebody could rent it out? Well, at the end of the day, her place is going to go for 1.1 plus. So my personal opinion, and, and I even went through and looked at the comparables to try to determine that. And everyone in that area that has a suite has gotten away with not legalizing it. And there hasn't been any price difference between the legal and the not. So I think realistically, if somebody has a family member, then that would be in demand. But I think people are shying away from the whole idea of renting it out. I think people want their privacy. Um, and I think it's just unnecessary in that price point. You know what I mean? But I mean, that being said, it's, it's never a bad thing to have a suite. And I am noticing now a huge shift since COVID in what people are valuing in their homes. Like I had touched on um, the pool prior to COVID, a pool, people either loved it or they wanted to fill it. So, um, you know, if you were showing a house with a pool, you're like, will my clients like it or will they hate it? Now, because of COVID and, and the need to be more outside and with lockdowns potentially looming, that's become really important to people. Another thing that's become really, really important to buyers is home office space. So a place where they can comfortably work from home, that's huge right now. Um, you know, the size of the lot is becoming a big, you know, how much backyard space do we have? How much of it is usable? So it's interesting to see that shift in the market and what people are, are finding value in. Um, but yeah, I would say generally speaking in that price point, you don't need the suite. Um, I don't have any clients that rent it out, uh, that rent out a part of their house to make the mortgage work. So I think in that price point, it maybe just isn't a thing. But I do know that some of my clients that I've worked with in Hamilton and some of the lower price points have mentioned that to me. And that's been, but I think, you know, again, I think Hamilton, it's, that's more of a thing there as well. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if they're already going to be qualified for that one to $2 million range privacy with, with everything that's been happening in the pandemic, that makes sense. I mean, personally, you know, if, if I was to, to buy a house and it had a suite, I would look at it as a bonus. I'd probably Airbnb it once in a while or like have a place for, for friends. But you, you said it well, right? I mean, you're not necessarily going to be selling that secondary units property for much more than if you were to just nicely finish uh, a house. So if there's no big difference for, for the cost that it's going to take for you to put a second kitchen in and, you know, figure all of that stuff out, it, it might actually not be worth it. It sounds like in, in your markets that you're covering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a small, like there's a small pool that is a demand, but again, like going back to wanting to have that widest spectrum of, of buyers possible, I would just leave it because really realistically, what are the chances of, you know, maybe one in 50 buyers would have a family member that needs to live with them. And, and you're, you're exactly right when you're saying that people are valuing privacy more now as well, because um, we are stuck at home and we're working from home and, and it's been, it's been really tough. So I think people are, are really valuing their privacy in their own space a lot more now too. So you're, you're obviously covering, you know, a lot of the single family homes, but do you, I don't know if you also cover condos, but you know, in Oakville and in Burlington, there's condos, there's not as, as many, of course, as, as Toronto, like, are you seeing any shifts for, you know, any, any sales decline increases for rents? Is there any difference there as well? Like, what are you seeing for condos in those areas? 
condos, uh, the biggest shift that I've seen is my clients who are or were in condos were calling me right after the height of the pandemic wanting to get out. And rightfully so, right? Could you imagine being stuck in a 500 square foot condo? You know, it was like six weeks of lockdown at the height of, at the height of COVID. And again, it does come back to what buyers are valuing now. Um, since that, since we've seen that shift and the idea, you know, of walking through your hallway and getting into a crowded elevator is suddenly not so nice. Um, you know, a condo was a great option pre COVID, but having to, you know, be in a 500 square foot condo for six weeks, you know, by yourself or with a, you know, with a partner, I don't know what's worse being by yourself or being stuck with your partner in that tiny space. <laughs> um, but people are over it um, for sure. And I think they are still moving in, in Burlington, Oakville anyway. I know Toronto has slowed down a bit um, for the condo market. In Burlington, Oakville, they're still moving because there is still a market for them. And you know, there's still people who love the condo lifestyle and love to be able to just you know, lock the door and, and that's it. Um, you know, no maintenance. There's still people who really want that. I do still have buyers for that, but I have noticed that my clients who are in condos or were, or were earlier this year are not wanting to stay there. They're looking for detached, you know, a little bit of property, even a townhouse. Um, they want a backyard and a backyard's become, you know, critical for, for people because they know that, you know, potentially be stuck at home and, and you need that space. You need that outdoor space. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, the, the market is just insane, insane right now. So like, I don't know what, what your, what your take on it is, but those people that are wanting to, to list and move, I mean, do you recommend that right now they buy first, they sell first? And, you know, what are you seeing in terms of multiples or, um, you know, what's happening in the market in that sense? So right now I'm suggesting that clients, regardless, pretty much regardless of their situation that they buy first because the inventory is so low and it's so competitive. Realistically, we know that their property, even if it's a condo, you know, a townhouse, whatever it may be, it's going to go. Um, so for me, yeah, I'm definitely saying buy first. It makes the most sense. Um, it just makes the process a lot easier. You kind of get the hard part out of the way first because it's very likely that, you know, you lose out on a couple of homes or you get outbid and, you know, that process can go on for a couple of months, potentially. So yeah, definitely buy first. Um, and then really what, um, what we're trying to do is, is yeah, get the hard part out of the way first. And then we know the listing process is going to be easy, but still multiple, multiple offers. I just sold a house in Oakville last night. We had five offers on it. We were only on the market two days. And the price point on that was 1.225, which is sort of right in that same area that we discussed. So those properties, you know, even at 1.2, 1.3 are still moving really, really well. Did you sell over asking with the five offers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, obviously we're recording this at the end of November and, and by the time this airs, the, the market may or may not have shift, shifted, right? What are some, some things to look at or some stats to look at to figure out, are we still in the same type of market today where we should be buying first and then, and then selling after? Like, is it months on inventory or, or how would you suggest that somebody gauge that? 
I would gauge it by seeing how many properties are on the market and how long they're staying on the market. Because right now, like you said, we're in November. Right now, the issue is, and which is surprising because in a typical normal non-COVID year, by this time of the year, it, you know, everybody now is waiting till January. But because we've had such a low inventory year, this is continuing on right into, I suspect that this will continue right into the holidays and it will just pick up in January and it will be the exact same. That's what I think will happen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy things. They're still going multiple offers. It's still super competitive. So, you know, I, and it's funny that we're talking about, you know, the Toronto condos and people leaving the, the buyers for this house that I just mentioned are coming from a condo in Toronto and they're going right into you know, right into 1.2 million. So it's, it's crazy people. It's, there's been such a shift. Um, but sorry, getting back to your question in terms of looking at that, I would try to gauge how many homes are on the market and how long they're staying on the market, because at the end of the day, it's a supply and demand issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I think looking at that, at those two numbers, at those two things would really give you an idea of the supply and demand and where we're at. Awesome. Well, Carlin, it, it's been amazing talking to you. You've got so much insights and, and, uh, and great tips and strategies on uh, the, you know, the higher end market. The next part of the podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You can give me the first answer within like 10 seconds or less that come to mind. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's right. do it. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at margaret at completepminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate or business book ever? A million dollar real estate agent. Awesome. Number two, I don't know if you're a podcast listener, but if you are, do you have a favorite podcast? It doesn't have to be real estate related. It could be anything. I like Unfuck Yourself. Okay. All right. I haven't watched that, but, <laughs> or listen to it. Self-help. It's really good. I like it. It's a self-help one? Yeah. Self-help. Yeah. Nice. All right. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Uh, hang out with my kids. I love spending time with my kids. How old are your kids? They're four and six, two boys. It's crazy. It's mayhem. <laughs> Hands are full. Number four, if you lost all your money and all of your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would probably open an online store of some kind. Yeah, it's the market these days, right? Exactly, yeah. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they start spending that money? I would recommend that they purchase a Toronto condo right now with how low the prices are and how low the demand is and ride out that wave and, and hold on to it and get a renter in there when things uh, recoup, if you could. I think there's a lot of opportunity right now in that market. And I think, you know, ultimately with investments, it's really about, right? It's like any investment, right? If your stock dips, you don't cash out, you got to ride it out. Um, so I would say put a deposit on a Toronto condo right now while prices are low, while demand is low and wait for it to climb up again, because I think it will come back. I believe it will come back after COVID. All right. Awesome. Thanks for playing the lightning round. Carlin, how can my listeners reach out and find out more about you? 
Um, they can find me on Instagram at carlanecrit.realestate. They can find me on Facebook um, or they can email me at carlin at carlinecrit.ca. Those are the three best ways to get a hold of me. Um, typically on Instagram, I will let anybody follow me on Facebook. I'm a little tighter with it. I try to keep things kind of family and friends only, but uh, Instagram is open season. So I would go there for sure if they were looking for more info. Awesome. And do you mind spelling your name out so that people can write it down? Yeah, it's K-A-R-L-Y-N. Last name is Ecret, E-A-C-R-E-T-T. Awesome. Any final last words of advice? Last words of advice. I would say have somebody who's knowledgeable, set up your team well, you know, whether you're doing Burr, I'm sure you'll agree, regardless of your investment strategy, you need a solid team. You need people you can rely on. Um, and get someone who'll be excited about the project and who will, you know, go through it with you and, and help you make good decisions. And ultimately, it's going to mean more money in your pocket. So get a good team, get a good agent and uh, and go for it. Awesome. That's uh, that's great advice. Thank you, Carlin, for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. It was great talking to you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.